0: When you try to predict financial crisis, there are two types of errors that people make. You can not predict crises that happen, which is a problem, but you can also over-predict crisis. You kind of look at indicators that are going to tell you, you know, there's going to be a systemic crisis with a high probability, but then this
1: crisis does not happen. Welcome to Shot of Science, a podcast series where we ask some of the world's top scientists what they're thinking about right now. I'm your host, Anna Rascuad-Paz. I'm the engagement editor here at Annual Reviews. And today, our president and editor-in-chief, Richard Gallagher, talks to economist Elaine Ray from the London Business School about systemic risk in the global banking system and what can be done to prevent a repeat of the 2008 financial collapse.
2: Hi, this is Richard Gallagher, and I'm chatting in New York City with Elaine Ray, who's Professor of Economics at the London Business School. Helene's work focuses on international trade, uh, financial imbalances, imbalances, financial crises, and the International Monetary Fund. Helene, what's uh, just one thing that is um, attracting your attention at the moment?
0: So, At the moment, I'm working a lot on problems of financial stability and systemic risk. So I'm very interested in trying to uh, apply macroprudential policies in order to prevent systemic crisis. And in order to be able to design those policies in an effective way, one has to be uh, a lot better able to predict crisis than uh, what we can we could do before, because you know making putting in place some macroprudential tools take time. So one has to know when to put these these tools in place and how to calibrate them, how to design them. Hence, one has to understand a lot better the causes of financial crisis. So we have a huge literature in, uh, in macroeconomics, in international finance, in order to try to understand emerging market crises and also banking crises like the ones we had in advanced economies in, in 2008, contagion mechanisms, and what are the best early warning indicators uh, based on historical data in order to, to try to predict this crisis. So right now, I've been looking at all this very fascinating literature and trying to make progress uh, using some cutting-edge technique taken from machine learning. And uh, the nice thing is that um, using these new tools, I think it's possible to make significant progress regarding uh, out-of-sample crisis prediction, which has been a very hard thing to do. Because when you try to predict financial crisis, there are two types of errors that people make. You can not predict crises that happen which is a problem, but you can also overpredict predict crisis. You kind of look at indicators that are going to tell you, you know, there's going to be a systemic crisis with a high probability, but then this crisis does not happen. So there are type 1 and type 2 errors. And it's, it's quite hard to, to find methods which are robust out of sample to minimize those type 1 and type 2 errors. These kind of machine learning techniques actually are very, very good for that.
2: How did you come to be um, aware of the machine learning techniques and what was it meant for you personally in in, in learning uh, uh, new skills?
0: So I've been uh, mostly... Uh you know, looking at the uh, economic, traditional econometrics literature for a while on those issues and following with a lot of interest all the literature which has used historical data, so very long time series of credit growth, for example, which are good early warning indicators, but also, you know, current account deficit financial flows, which is also a lot of my interest in the field, so I've been, you know... I have had a kind of long habit at looking at a long time series of, of data in, in finance and international economics, etc. But then I was really looking for methods which uh, are really useful when you don't really know in the end what is the best model to, to predict a very nonlinear event like a crisis. So there's a lot of uncertainty about what's the right model and something might fit very well in a sample. So you might think that you have a good predictor, but then when you look at out of sample, when you try to, to really predict out of sample, then things may break down. And then I, I literally looked at some, a little bit you know, by coincidence or by <laughs> just by chance, I stumbled upon a, a literature in, uh, in machine learning, so developed by, uh, by statisticians, a lot of them based uh, actually in France, who had looked at similar problems outside economics. And, um, and this is by talking to, to these people, these statisticians, that uh, I thought, oh, maybe this should be imported to the crisis literature. And I've been working on that. And it's really my, like, one of my current research projects. And it's, uh, it's, it's very promising.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. What
2: is known? What isn't known? Knowable magazine, the award-winning journalistic publication from annual reviews, seeks to make that knowledge accessible to all. Knowable reports on the current state of play across a wide variety of fields, from agriculture to high-energy physics, biochemistry to water security, the origins of the universe to psychology. Every piece is deeply reported, fact-checked, and free to read and to republish. To stay in the know, head to knowablemagazine.org slash newsletter and sign up for the free Sunday newsletter today.
1: We're back. Thank you for sticking with us. Next, Richard asks Hélène Ray about testing her models.
2: How do you validate your algorithms? Do you apply it to... Um, historical literature and see how accurate you're able to um, make predictions?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, in in my uh, kind of two current projects that I have, what I do is that, um, so I I look at um, a series of crises since the 1980s in in a relatively broad panel of countries. And I can get the algorithm to learn on the crisis of, at the, the early stage of a sample. And then I use it to predict, out of sample, the 2008 crisis. Or in the case of the Euro-area countries, it can be later. It can be like around 2011. <laughs> there are lots of crises there. So uh, it's uh, out of sample forecasting, but within that early period of, of data. And then I also use historical data um, that has been put together by, uh, by economic historians. Uh, to to see whether I can uh, predict out of sample, for example, the 1929 crisis in the US. And then the nice thing about these methods is that even though they are not really structural in any sense, but you can see at each point in time what are the variables which contain the most information about crisis prediction. So, for example, a variable that would uh, have a lot of information about the 1929 crisis out of sample for the US, are not exactly the same ones as the one that would predict crisis in the US in 2008. And so you can, I think you can learn from that in some ways about economic mechanism, even though in this model so far we have not managed to prove causality in any sense, so we have not really managed so far to put some structural relations there. But it's still, I think, informative, and there's a lot of work to be done on this.
2: If you are able to um, show that you can make accurate early predictions, what is the practical benefit of that?
0: So there are lots of uh, of important practical benefits. So one is that since the two thousand eight crisis, uh, I mean, we have learned again that these systemic crises are very, very costly. Obviously, from an economic point of view, social point of view, political point of view, and we are still not out of the political consequences of these terrible events that uh, that we have been living through. Uh, since we are becoming more aware of that uh, people have been more willing to put in place authorities which are called the macroprudential authorities uh, in a number of countries whose whose mandate is literally to try to decrease systemic risk so they have uh, the possibility by uh, for example doing some intervention in the banking system on real estate market by tightening lending standards by increasing capital adequacy ratios by using a bunch of idiosyncratic tools depending on the countries, they have the possibility to try to act um, before the crisis, the risk really builds up, to try to either to avoid the crisis or, in the case of a crisis, to make the system more resilient ex post, which is also a very important dimension. But the more information you have about what is happening, the better you are going to be at doing this. So it's a little bit like, you know, when we, we started to do monetary policy and have independent central banks and do inflation targeting, we had to develop frameworks in order to predict inflation and then, you know, try to have an idea of what in raising interest rate would do to our inflation target, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in the case of macroprudential policy, we have to develop similar frameworks so that the policies can be the most uh, effective. And by uh, working on these issues, this is what I'm, I'm trying to contribute to.
2: Have you had a lot of interest in the approach from government, uh, governments, and financial um, organisations that would uh, be able to take uh, action if you were if you were to predict a, a crisis of some sort?
0: There's... A huge amount of interest, uh, and as I said, I mean it's my current research project. So you know there's, there's still a lot to do, uh, but yes, there has been uh, a, a lot of questions from very many uh, <laughs> different authorities, uh, and I'm definitely in constant dialogues with a number of policymakers and people in academia to try to uh, to, to to refine what I'm doing, and uh, and I'm hoping that uh, you know the final product when. Uh, uh, the research papers will be fully uh, finished and, and published will be also used uh, by uh, a number of authorities and, and these methods can be generalized in, in, a, in a number of ways.
2: A final, probably unfair question. Do you see anything to be worried about on the horizon right now?
0: <laughs> so I've been mostly focusing on <laughs> backtesting this method now but I will uh, be able to give you an answer in a few months. <laughs>
2: Okay, Hélène Ray, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> thank you very much to you, Richard.
1: This was the last episode of the first series of Shot of Science. Thank you to Hélène Ré for taking the time to chat with us. I'm Anna Rascouet-Paz, the engagement editor here, and I wanted to thank all of you for listening. We'll be back with more of these conversations. Annual Reviews is a nonprofit profit publisher dedicated to synthesizing and integrating knowledge for the progress of science and the benefit of society. Music Today by Southland and Hi-Fi.